This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It's 7.49, it's Tuesday, 30th of January, and you're listening to The Morning Run. Yesterday, Tun Wan Junaidi Tunku Jaffa was sworn in as the 8th Governor of Sarawak. Prior to this appointment, Wan Junaidi was the former Dewan Nagara President. He was appointed as the new head of the state by the young Diputan Agong for a fourth-year fourth term effective January 26 this year. He also effectively replaces Tun Abdul Taib Mahmoud, who was the governor for three terms since March 2014. So what does this new appointment mean for the Sarawak political landscape moving forward and what is the legacy left behind by Taib Mahmoud, Sarawak's longest-serving politician? For some thoughts on this recent development, we speak to Dr. James Chin, Professor of Asian Studies at the University of Tasmania, for his take on the matter. Good morning, James. Always good to speak to you. Now, what is? let's take a little bit of a step back. Really, what is the role of the governor of Sarawak in the state hierarchy? Is it, It's described as a ceremonial role. So really, what kind of powers does the governor have? Uh, good morning. So the powers of the Sarawak state governor is exactly the same as the king in the Malaysian political system. He's very much the constitutionally, constitutionally head of state, but he's not the head of government. So his powers are, is basically to be above politics and it's largely a ceremonial post. He's supposed to represent Sarawak. Uh, at the official level as head of state, uh, but he has no role to play in day-to-day politics. James, how would you describe the legacy of the previous governor, Tun Taib Mahmud, who who has held the position for nearly 10 years and was a towering figure in Sarawak politics? I mean, he was chief minister before that, right? Yes, how much time do you have? <laughs> so, and, <laughs> so anyway, I think uh, in terms of Type's legacy, I think you have to divide his legacy into two separate parts. The first one, obviously, when he was actively involved in politics, when he became chief minister in 1981, until the time he stepped down and became the governor, which is the second phase. Uh, so in terms of the legacy... I think historians over the long run uh, will probably uh, have more negatives rather than positive. Uh, part of the reason is because he was in power for a very, very long time. So on the positive side, you can argue that he has really reshaped Sarawak politics and reshaped the state. Uh, he was in power for more than 30 years. So it is obviously somebody who has stayed that long, uh, has the ability to reshape and do whatever you want. Uh, I think on the negative side, there's been all sorts of allegations against him and his family in terms of their business interests. And I suspect now that he's no longer the governor, uh, more and more of these allegations will surface. So I think it's very much a mixed bag. But I think on balance, historians will say that he has done more damage than good to Sarawak. Oh, okay, but uh, then uh, what of what should we make of the new governor, though, Tun? Dr. Wan Junaidi Tuanku Jaffa and what do you think his immediate priorities will be as the new governor? So I think uh, basically the way to understand it is that he was very much uh, a popular choice in the sense that if you are looking for somebody who sort of uh, encompasses all the uh, Sarawak uh, traits, people who believe in multiculturalism, who believe in good ethnic mm. relations, who believe in multi-religious state, he takes all the right boxes. But I think more importantly, uh, he is a popular figure in the sense that he's always been widely seen as uh, somebody who is very easy to get along with, who gets along well with people. And people for, uh, keep forgetting that this guy is not a professional politician. 
Uh, he worked for more than 10 years as a member of the police force before he entered politics. So he has really been uh, on the ground. And I think that uh, in some ways, he not only represents the old Sarawak, but uh, he is somebody that we can sort of trust to make sure that Sarawak retains its special character. So as an example that I can give very easily is that uh, one of the first things he did when he arrived back in Sarawak after receiving the letter appointment from the king was that he held a dinner on the same day that he arrived in Kuching. He held a dinner with members of all the religious communities in Sarawak. Uh, I can't think of uh, another governor in the Malaysian system who did that. How much do you think uh, uh, Wan Junaidi's role as uh, Dewan Rakyat President, uh, uh, Dewan, sorry, Dewan Rakyat uh, Speaker, Dewan Negara President, and even a member of the cabinet uh, would guide his uh, guide him in his role as the governor? Uh, look, I don't think all those things, of course, are, is part of his experience in life, but I don't think any of those things are crucial. Because his role is to rise above politics, he is the symbol of uh, of Sarawak unity, Sarawak state. So I don't think he'll be put in a position where he's got to make uh, political choices. Uh, Sarawak, the reason is very simple. Sarawak politically is very, very stable. So there won't be an opportunity where he will have to make difficult political decisions. Um, I think what, what what will happen was that he will be there to provide a, as a sounding board to the Sarawak state government and he may be able to offer some advice on what is happening on the Malayan side. Uh, but again, uh, I don't think any of this uh, uh, helps him in his job. I think the most important thing when it comes to his job is to make sure that the unique character of Sarawak remains intact. And I think if he can do that, uh, I think many people will be very happy to see him uh, as the governor of Sarawak. In the meantime, James, we have noticed that Sarawak seems to be wanting more autonomy for itself. We see that in terms of education, healthcare, ambitions to have their own bank and airline. What do you make of all this? So this is not a new thing. This has been a project going on for many years. In fact, it started off during the time of the previous uh, 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 chief minister, uh, 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 Tottenham or Adidas Satem. He can even argue that this whole project actually started in the 1980s under Taib Mahmud. Uh, the idea is basically to insulate Sarawak from the rest of uh, Malaysia, especially uh, Malayan politics. And I think that what we're seeing today is basically the rise of state nationalism. And the only reason that uh, it's becoming very prominent is because the politics on the Malay establishment in Malaya is fractured. And because of that, uh, Sabah and Sarawak plays outsized role in terms of uh, keeping uh, politics stable on, on this side, on the Malayan side. There, there are concerns on the issue of transparency and representation, especially those from the Dayak community on being sidelined during the appointment process of the new state governor. What are the reasons behind these grievances? So a lot of it has got to do with uh, historical grievances. So basically, uh, before uh, Sarawak uh, and North Borneo, Singapore and, and Malaya came together to form the Federation of Malaysia, uh, there were some discussion among the officials about how to divide up uh, the position of the governor and the chief minister. You have to remember at that time, right, the role of the governor was seen differently from today. Uh, during colonial times, right, the executive power was not 
held by the chief minister. It was held by the governor, the colonial governor. So many people wanted to to be the governor because they thought that you know, in post-independent Malaysia, that the governor will have the same powers. Uh, when in fact, uh, in post-independent Malaysia, the executive power was held by the chief minister and the state cabinet. So there was lots of discussion in the background. So basically what happened was that when uh, Sarawak was formed, uh, there was a strong push uh, to make uh, 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 Tun Juga to be a governor of Sarawak. And uh, it was at this point that uh, Tunggu Abdul Rahman stepping uh, very, very strongly and forcefully and said that the Malayan, uh, the Malay political establishment would not agree to this. They want a Malay governor for Sarawak. And the reason is because the chief minister of Sarawak at that time was uh, Stephen Kalaniggang. So very early on, they want to enforce this rule that the the seat will be divided up between the majority grouping, the Dayaks, and the Malay community. Uh, this was supposed to be the understanding, but because it was not codified into any agreement, uh, there was no exchange of letters, it wasn't signed to MS63, it wasn't part of the 20 points, uh, so and so forth. So this is one of those things what we call unwritten political agreement uh, and that you can't enforce it because all those people who agreed to that arrangements are no longer with us. So that is the source of the historical grievances. All right. Thank you very much for your time. That was Dr. James Chin, Professor of Asian Studies at the University of Tasmania, giving us a little insight into the previous governor, Tun Taib, and the legacy left behind, and also what we can then expect of the new governor, um, who had, he, had his first dinner with all the respective religious heads, signaling perhaps a very different reign. Mm. It was, it's interesting as well. I mean, James touched on um, there is a sort of autonomy that Sarawak seems to be enjoying and seems to be asserting as, as they go along, uh, talking about having uh, their own bank, their own airline and, and some autonomy uh, as far as the health and education mm. sectors are concerned, like uh, English is the official language in Sarawak for one thing. Yeah, um, I think also what's interesting is the fact that Sarawak is a high-income state. By This is a definition by the World Bank. But of course, there remains challenges, right? Because we're talking about the inequality. Incomes do need to improve in the rural areas. But definitely offering free tertiary education for locals and studying in Sarawak-owned institutions... Institutions, excuse me, is a step in the right direction. Up next, we have the Breakfast Grill where Shazana Mokta speaks to Professor Lau Hien Ho, Pro Vice Chancellor and CEO of Swinburne Sarawak. Stay tuned for that, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.